Got a mic there? Go ahead. Hello. สวัสดีค่ะสวัสดีค่ะ That means hello in Thai. My name is Gamon Tip. All Thai people have a nickname. Mine is Ma'am. That means Queen of the Card. I was born in Thailand. Grew up in a Buddhist family. When I was six years old, my dad was hit by a car and killed. So my mom moved us all back to her hometown. Everything changed completely. Not having dad around, new surrounding, new language, new everything. Even the family members you have never seen. One summer, when I was 11 years old, my friend and I were walking around and saw a sign on a house that said. Welcome, free English and Bible classes. It was the house of a Filipino missionaries. I went to that class and really enjoyed it. I really loved to learn about the Bible stories, and I still remember the song that touched my heart, like "This is my Father's world. Jesus loves me. No, not one." That song says that no one can help me like lowly Jesus can. That song speaks to me a lot. Um, in Buddhism, Buddha said, "No one can help you. You have to help yourself." I have to help myself. I thought to myself uh, at that time that can Jesus really help me? I was wondering that if he could really help me. After after I finished sixth grade. I had to sit out of school for a year because my mom couldn't afford to send me to junior high school. My mom had a terrible gambling problem, and she had lost all of her money. Uh, everything in the house was gone, including our home. So she could not afford to send me to school. I was very sad, and I was very embarrassed to be seen by my friends when they were going to school, and I wasn't. But God is good, because I had no place to go and nothing to do. I decided I would try to find the church where those Filipino missionaries worked. I live in a town about 40,000 people, so I start riding my mom's bike around and look for the church location. And one day, I found it, but I was too scared to walk in there. So it made me a couple trips. Sometimes I would walk there. And staring at the people at the church, but until I was brave enough to walk in there inside. But once I went inside, I never left the place. That year, I went there almost every day, even when there was no ministries going on. That was my happy place. After a while of being back, the church had special evangelistic. Meeting one night after one of the message, um, one missionary, single missionary lady came and talked to me and shared with me the plan of salvation. That night, I did understood what Christ did on the cross for me. He died for me, and I accepted Jesus as my personal savior. When it was finished, when I finished. High school. I wanted to serve the Lord, but I did not think I could, because needed. I needed to support my younger sibling, to 
go to school because in my heart, I did not want to trust my heart ever again um, because of her gam gambling problem. God got a hold of my heart at camp like this. When I was 19 years old, I dedicated my life to serve, uh, to serve him. So I moved 10 hours away from my hometown to go to Bible college in Bangkok. It, it was at that time that God provided a good paying job for my sister. She support herself. Then in my second year of Bible college, my mom visited a church. Long story short, she came to church for uh, the first time and she accepted Christ as her personal savior after praying, praying for her for 10 hard years. God had done everything I tried to do on my own after I yield myself to him and was doing his will for my life. And, and this part is for Mrs. Fanuz. She wants to know how I did and I met. So I add a little bit. In 1999, long story short, with a lot of dramas, I cut all of that off. <laughs> If you don't want to know, you can come and ask us. You don't I'm, need to. <laughs> I met a guy um, in, in 1998. I met a guy. I thought he was cute. But after I heard my pastor was trying to set me up with him, and I don't like that. <laughs> Not at all. So I, I did everything. I didn't want anything to do with that. So I pretty much avoid him for the whole three months when he was there serving as a short-term mission trip. I was hoping that he would be, I mean, after working together, I've seen him on and off. I was hoping that, okay, he would be gone after three months like other short-term missionaries who, you know, have gone and then gone, you know, never come back. And but he came back <laughs> oh, in 1999, and after that, the Lord really worked on my heart, set of things, yeah, a lot of things. And fast forward, we got married in August 2000, and returned to Thailand full time in 2003. In closing, I just want to say that my life is a testimony that missions really does work. Thank you. Honey, the word for the day is bad penny. <laughs> they just keep coming back, don't they? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You wonder, you don't have the opportunity when maybe all the time to meet people. You've supported missionaries over the years and you wonder what happens is, are these letters really true? But it works. When we share the gospel, not everyone's going to accept Christ, but there are going to be some. And those some that we lead to Christ will, will go and share the gospel more effectively than we could ever dream of. In their own language, in their own tongue, in their own culture, there just needs to be someone who goes and starts the ball rolling. Just start it and watch the ball roll. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 15, if you would, this evening.
Acts chapter 15. We're going to do a little bit of an overview of Acts chapter 15 and 16 tonight. Talking about being authentic and writing for the brand. Are you really writing for the brand? Is it authentic? Are you the real deal? What we're going to see in Acts 15 and 16, there are, there are more than five, but I want to point out five awesome events, five awesome events that take place in Acts chapter 15 and 16. I think it'll go up on a slide there, right? Five awesome events, and we love it when awesome things happen. In fact, when we have dedicated, when we dedicate ourselves, our lives to the Lord at camp and things, we often pray and ask God to do awesome things through us. We hear stories, maybe of missionaries, maybe of Bible stories, of God doing great things. And we're challenged to dedicate our lives to the Lord. And in our minds, when we dedicate our lives to it, when we surrender, we want God to do great things. And here in these verses right here in Acts 15 and 16, we're going to look at five awesome events. What are those five awesome events from Acts 15 verses 36 to 41? Instead of just one missionary team spreading the gospel from the church in Antioch, there are now two teams, not just one. So double the gospel power, double the gospel emphasis, going in different directions from this church in Antioch. That's the first one. The second awesome event is Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man calling out to him saying, come over and preach to us in Macedonia. The second awesome event. Wouldn't it be great if God spoke clearly like that to us and said, go to this guy and preach to him. Or if someone said, hey, come preach to me. That would be awesome. The third awesome event, a lady in the, in the city of Philippi named Lydia accepts Christ. She's the first Christian in Philippi, the first Christian. And in this lady's house, this Lydia's house, the first church in Philippi is established. That's awesome. Then we come to the fourth awesome event. A girl is set free from her demon possession. She's been a slave. She's been enslaved not only by demons and Satan's power, but also by men who use this possession of demons in her to make money for themselves. She's doubly enslaved and she is set free. And we believe that she probably accepts Christ. She's set free by the power of Christ. I believe she turns to Christ that day as well. And then there's a fifth awesome event. What's that fifth awesome event? The Philippian jailer and his whole family accept Christ as their savior. That Philippian jailer is led to the Lord by Paul and Silas. Not only him, his whole family. Awesome. In the middle of the night. Cool. We love it when awesome events take place. We pray that God does awesome things. We ask him to do things like this. And he does. But I want us to take a look at how these awesome events happened. How were these awesome events made possible? Each one of these is truly awesome. God doing great and marvelous things. But how did each one of these take place? We love it when awesome. What's the trail to awesome? Let's look at it. We start in that first awesome event. How did the church in Antioch have the blessing of sending out two missionary teams instead of one? This is, Paul, this is the second missionary journey, right? Paul has already been, and Paul and Barnabas have already been on one missionary journey. They go back and report to Antioch. Now it's time for missionary journey number two. And this time, two teams, four people at least, 
going out in two different directions. How does this awesome event take place? Paul and Silas went together, they go one way. Barnabas and John Mark, they get together and they go another way. So what's the problem with that? Pick up in Acts 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. He's either Barnabas's nephew or his cousin. But Paul thought best not to take them with them, one who had withdrawn or quit from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed. How did this church in Antioch have the awesome privilege, the awesome opportunity to send out two missionary teams when in the past there had only been one missionary team? When the most godly man we know in the New Testament, apart from Christ, gets in an argument that's so fierce. The, the most godly man we know in Paul, the, with the son of encouragement, Barnabas, this man that all he does is encourage, when these two guys can't get along. And the Bible says there's a sharp disagreement. It's stinging, it's stabbing, hurting disagreement. I wonder how that conversation went. I think we should take Barnabas. I don't think we should. I'd like to over my dead body. Let's make it happen. How did that happen? I don't know. But I know this. If we take away something from this as we move quickly through this, the reality is that awesome things sometimes take place. God allows personal conflict. God allows personal conflict to happen in order to spread the gospel. An awesome event it doesn't look so awesome, but it still is. Then we come to that second awesome event. What's the second awesome event that takes place? How did Paul have the vision to go to Macedonia? Well, we know the Bible says at night, Paul has this vision of a Macedonian man. He's crying out to Paul to preach the gospel in a different area called Macedonia, modern day Greece. So what's the problem with that? Well, we pick up in, in chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. If there's one place in Scripture that it doesn't say so, but I kind of wonder if there's one place that we can, might be able to find in Paul, the Apostle Paul's life where he's a bit confused about God's will. I wonder if it's this time. Here is a guy, when, when you're Apostle Paul, think about it this way. When you're willing to accept the consequences of your actions, how many obstacles are there? When you're willing to be arrested for preaching the gospel, is being arrested an obstacle? If you're willing to walk through doors that say, we don't want to hear it, like Paul was, is that really an obstacle? No. But somehow, someway, God makes it crystal clear. He knows that God is forbidding. He wants to do this. He starts out, he wants to go one direction, go west. He can't. 
He tries to go north. He can't. And this might be the, one of these times where Paul looks up to heaven and says, I'm willing to do whatever. The consequences aren't a problem. What is the problem, Lord? And then this voice of a Macedonian man and a vision of a Macedonian man crying out says, come over here. What might be the lesson we take away from this? Sometimes God closes really needy doors simply because he wants the gospel somewhere else. That's hard to accept. Did those areas need the gospel? Absolutely. Paul's not going to places that don't need the gospel. Would have been really good for Paul to go there. Absolutely. But God forbid him. God didn't want Paul there at the time because he has another plan. And the plan is not in that area at all, but across the Aegean Sea and modern day Greece. We come to that next awesome event, this story of Lydia, this lady, the first Christian in Philippi. And this one lady, if we were to keep reading and had the time, we would see she begs Paul. She begs him, if, I'm, if you found me worthy, would you open up the church in my house? Wow, awesome. How did Lydia accept Christ? Paul and Silas meet her by a river, praying and worshiping with Worshiping God with her lady friends. So what's the problem with that? Look at verses 9 and 10. We start in verse 9 and 10, then we jump down to start. We'll start in verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And on the Sabbath day, verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. What's the problem there? And we keep reading, we find out Lydia accepts Christ right there. She's the first Christian. Awesome. So what's the problem? What's the problem? Paul has a vision of what? A Macedonian man. What's the first thing that Paul do, does when he goes into a new city? He goes in and he, preached the gospel, he preaches the gospel where? In a synagogue. So what's he doing out by the riverside with a bunch of women? He goes into that city. That guy ain't even there. He goes into that city where he normally goes to preach the gospel as is his tradition. There's not even enough men to start a synagogue. Can you imagine Paul's disappointment? Maybe he wasn't disappointed at all. We don't know. All we know, he goes in. It's not there. That Macedonian guy's not there. What are you doing, Lord? I'm here. He's not. He finds out that there's a, a group of ladies that pray and worship God at the riverside, and he goes there. And that's how this awesome event takes place. And what, we, what would we suppose that we would learn from something like this? I think it might be that God's plan involves disappointment and dashed expectations in order for the gospel to go to those whom he has already prepared. Then we come to that fourth awesome event. How was the demon-possessed girl freed from her demon possession? 
The short answer is Paul cast demons out of her. What's the problem with that? Hallelujah. A woman who's been a slave, doubly enslaved by both Satan and slave masters for who knows how long to make money for these men is set free from demon possession. What's the problem there? Pick up in verse 17. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for what? Many days. Paul having become greatly concerned, Paul having become deeply burdened, Paul having become deeply compassionate for, for this poor girl enslaved. No, Paul having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out. And it came out that very hour. Based on what we read here, she followed these guys around many days. And Paul, not in his compassion, not in his heart of mercy, not in, his, not in this grace that he's been given, not in any of that, but in pure annoyance after days of this, finally does what could have been done the very first day. Why? Because it appears as we look at this, is this girl the target of Paul's evangelistic means and what he's trying to do? It appears not. So that finally, who knows if he even knows this is the person that God wants right in front of his eyes. In his annoyance, he says, Get out! She clearly wasn't the woman he was looking for. And only in annoyance was this lady rescued. What might we learn from something like this? I think we learn that sometimes God's plan involves frustration, frustrating, and annoying circumstances to enter our lives simply for the purpose of spreading the gospel. Sometimes God uses personal conflict. Sometimes God uses really, closes really needy doors simply because somewhere else needs the gospel too. Sometimes God's plan involves disappointment and dashed expectations. Sometimes it involves frustrations and annoyances for the purpose of getting the gospel where it wouldn't go otherwise. Then we come to that last awesome event. And the question is the same question we've been asking. How did the Philippian jailer and his whole family come to know Jesus as Savior that night? The short answer is Paul and Silas led him to the Lord. So what's the long answer? Pick up in verse 25 of chapter 16. We remember the story prior to verse 25. After this woman who has been set, set free from her demon possession, once she is free from that, her taskmasters, her slave mask, masters realize they have lost their cash cow. They have lost their source of income. So they cause a riot. In verse 22, prior to verse 25, in verse 22, it says, Paul and Silas are stripped and then they're beaten. Now we pick up in verse 25. They're, not only are they stripped and they're beaten by this mob, 
They're thrown into jail. In those, day, in those days, the jails wouldn't have been above ground. It would have probably been an underground, an in-ground, or maybe in the side of a mountain-type jail, a dungeon. They're stripped. They're beaten. Now they're strapped or chained to the floor on their backs. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved in your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who was in his house. And he took them that same hour and the night washed their wounds and they, he was baptized at once, and he and all his family. Praise the Lord, right? This whole household, this whole family is saved. God causes a miracle, an earthquake, and everyone in the household of this jailer, because of the testimony of Paul and Silas in jail, stripped naked, beaten, in pain, yet singing songs is the testimony that leads this man to the Lord. So what's the problem? There doesn't seem much of a problem at all. Pick up in verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and now go in peace. Verse 37, but Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison and they do now throw us out secretly? No, let them come and take, them, take us out themselves. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. What happened? What's the problem here, guys? Everything that took place the day before and through the night was all what? all illegal as Roman citizens Paul and Silas had the right to a trial none of what happened from being stripped to being beaten to being thrown in prison without a trial none of that was legal now in my mind I'm thinking I'm thinking there was a day before and a day after it would seem to me that if they're if they're Roman citizens this morning when they say to the to the jailer and to these police we're prisoners I'm gonna throw it out there and say, they were Roman citizens yesterday too. So why in the world did they say, when they're being stripped, we're Roman citizens? They didn't. Why in the world when they're starting to be beaten say, we're Roman citizens? They didn't. Why in the world when they're thrown into prison, strapped down on their backs that are probably bleeding in this cold, wet dungeon, say, we're Roman citizens? And they didn't. Why? Oh, because sometimes God's plan, his perfect good plan involves pain and suffering and even injustice for the purpose, the sole purpose of getting the gospel where it would not go otherwise.
These guys had the opportunity to get out of it, and somehow they didn't. As we look at this and we think through all these frustrations, conflicts, closing of needy doors, disappointments, dashed expectations, annoyances, suffering, pain, even injustice, what do we conclude? Or maybe we say it this way, what's the point? Looking at Acts chapter 15 and 16 and seeing the difficulties that took place in order for Paul and Silas to end up in Macedonia in a prison at night, beaten, naked, and in pain. I got some questions that come to my mind. Here's a question. Whose sin caused all these problems to happen in Paul's life? Because when we have problems, it's because of our sins, right? Are the problems that took place in Paul's life a result of Paul's sin? Nope. When the doors start closing in different areas that are really, really needy and problems arise, would have Paul, and he's, he's forbidden here, and he's forbidden there, would Paul have been right to conclude that closed doors means that it's God's will for him to pack it up and go home and do the job he always wanted to do in the first place? Nope. Did anything to this point in Paul's second journey happen according to original plan? Nope. So looking at the big picture of Acts chapter 15 and 16 and seeing both the trials and the difficulties as well as the blessings, what would this teach us about God himself? I conclude that God uses interruptions, conflicts, problems, frustrations, annoyances, crises, and even injustices in the lives of his children to shape us, to mold us, and to direct or change our course for the purpose of spreading the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ into places that have never had it. Based on Acts 15 and 16, what is one question that we might need to ask ourselves about God's will sometimes in our lives? How about talking about being a true disciple, being a real follower? How about this? Am I willing to suffer for Christ? We all want comfort. I want, I want comfort. We all want a peaceful life. But friends, how much effort do we put into, how much effort do we expend in avoiding that which God would use to spread the gospel through us? How much time do we spend in prayer meeting, praying for God to take away that which he put in our lives in the first place to put us in the position to share the gospel with someone who needs it? I told you a little bit about my mom and past sermons. My parents went to having gone to Faith Baptist Bible College, already having a family. My dad went to Faith for seven years before he graduated, took a year off to pay his debt. 
were on deputation for three and a half years. Went to Africa their first time, my junior year of high school. We're in Africa for a year and a half. My mom got cancer her first time, had to come home, get treated about another year and a half. They go back to Africa, are there about another year. She gets cancer again, can't go back ever again. All that effort. I can't honestly say, I don't know for sure that my dad ever led a Central African to the Lord. But I know he led me to the Lord and the gospel goes to Asia. We went to Thailand for the first time in 2003. Two months after we got there in June of 2003, we get a phone call. My mom has cancer in her bones. There's good news and bad news. The good news, it, it travels slow. The bad news, it's not getting cured. We almost made a, a full four-year term, went home three months short of a four-year term because at that time, my mom needed more care than my dad could give, so we, ma'am and I went back and we took care of my mom those last four months. There was a day where she ran out of her pain script, and so I had to drive across Cleveland to go and get that at the doctor's office. I go into that doctor's office, I walk in, and there's a window, there's a nurse sitting at a desk behind a window, and there's, there, there's just walls and a door that probably, apparently, apparently goes into that office some way. I say, I'm here to pick up a script for Paula Beckman. She says, hold on a second. The nurse gets up, she walks through one door, makes a right, comes out, and comes out the door into the lobby. She gives me the script and then she, hands, she puts her hands out me and shake my hand and said, I want you to know how much of a pleasure it is to know your mom. Come to find out, my mom and those doctor's appointments and dealing and managing pain <laughs> I'd share the gospel with those people in that doctor's office. I don't know if they accepted Christ, but she let her hope in Christ be known. And she know and she knew that God uses these things to get the gospel where maybe it wouldn't go otherwise. Does God, does God want us to suffer? I don't know. I don't think so. Let me ask it this way. Is suffering a necessary part of the Christian life? I think so. Because Jesus Christ himself said what? No one's greater than his master. They did it to me. They're going to do it to you. Whatever the case is, I can say without a doubt, every Christian who intends to live for God, who intends to ride for the brand, who's serious and authentic about his discipleship, every Christian is gonna face it. We pray for awesome things to happen. And when we look at scripture, we understand that the awesome happens how? Through conflict and frustrations and annoyances pain and suffering and even injustice. So I close with the question. Now that you know that, do you still want to ride for the brand?
Lord, help us to be the people you want us to be. Work in hearts. Use this even now. Maybe we need to change some perspectives and make some commitments about what we're willing to do simply to get the gospel where it hasn't gone before. In Jesus' name, amen.